2: This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com, and on your favorite podcast app. In the year 2039, Gotham City has no heroes. It's people, no hope. It's youth, no future. it, boys and girls! Terry McGuinness was part of the problem. You can't control your temper, and you'd better if you expect to get anywhere in life. Yeah, I'll be a big success, just like you. Until a moment of violence brought him to the door of a man named Bruce Wayne. Let's put a smile on his face. Leave him alone. Once known as the Batman. You something. Are you okay? Now the dark knight will rise again to drive the shadow of evil from the streets of Gotham. Let's go! Supervillains, beware! There's a new Batman in town. Batman beyond. You're pretty strong for some clown who thinks he's Batman. I am Batman. <laughs> Justice returns to Gotham. Welcome to my world.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 144 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, and with me is my good brother, good friend, and the gentleman that runs our Twitter page. That's right, it's Liam. Liam. We're in a brand new month, second month of the year. Here, uh, we made it through <laughs> one month of this new year, and uh, that means we are starting off with a new show. And uh, we decided to go back to the future. The future, Cal? That's right. All the way to the year, the whatever fifty, 50, 50 years, from, years now, from now, whatever, whenever now is, whenever now is. Right? Exactly. That's right. We are, in fact, talking about the Tomorrow Night, the Batman of the Future, Batman Beyond. It has been a while since we have gone to the futuristic Gotham City, but we are back this week with the episode Final Cut. Yeah, we're picking up right where we left off. We do all of our Batman episodes in order of uh, production, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we are continuing here with that trend. And uh, this episode, Liam, is a follow up to the original Curare episode, A Touch of Curare. So we get uh, one of the original Batman Beyond rogues created for this series. Well, most of them were, but mm-hmm. uh, a Batman Beyond original, follow up to her story, and uh, picking up right where we left off with her. Uh, We'll get into that in just a little bit here when we discuss our plot for this week's episode, Uh, but before we do, as we always seem to do here, uh, we are going to start this episode off with our IMDb official synopsis. Uh, For this episode, which originally debuted, get this Liam, February 5th, 2000. That's right. If you're listening to this episode on the day that it premieres, that is February 6th, 2021, which means we just celebrated yesterday the 21 year anniversary of this episode wow and i i'd like to say that we did that on purpose but uh it's just one another one of those happy accidents hey and... we could have taken it we could have taken credit <laughs> for it and pretend well, hey, like you edit these things man <laughs> <laughs> we'll find this? out if we leave it. i'll find out if we leave this <laughs> in or not on <laughs> the day the episode airs good good point uh but anyway i uh, want well, never mind this episode is live of course that's right so, <laughs> anyway uh this is for the episode final cut which was written by hillary j bader and alan burnett directed by butch lukic with music by christopher carter and animation by coco and that synopsis reads as such batman is blackmailed by a bomb threat to protect a member of the society of assassins from curare all right that's a simple sweet and to the point not a bad uh, synopsis if i do say so so let's jump into our plot discussion here, Liam. So uh, as we mentioned, this is a follow-up to the episode "A Touch of Curare, uh, which I believe was Batman Beyond season one. Correct. Uh, so we learned in that that uh, there was this assassin that was hired to kill Batman, uh, and uh, she comes in and um, to kill uh, Commissioner Gordon. I'm, I'm sorry, you're right. Husband, actually, <laughs> you're right. Batman just got in the way and became like an associated target. But That's right. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, she or fortunately, depending on. Unfortunately for her, she failed in her uh, attempt to kill Commissioner Gordon's husband, and thus she became The Hunted, as we find out. She escapes at the end of the episode, but sort of leaves on a cliffhanger. She's driving this vehicle away, and there's a sword that pops through the roof and cut to black. So... This episode picks up, and we are at an airport someplace uh, with a guy who looks a little bit like a a Bond villain or a Dr. Mindbender from G.I. Joe type. He's got a a fancy monocle. Uh, He was, I believe, shown in the first Curare episode, more of like a shadowy figure, though, nondescript. Mm -hmm. Uh, And He shows up back here in this episode. Uh, So we find out he's one of the leaders of the League of Assassins, and it turns out that Curare has been picking off... Uh, these leaders one by one uh we learn that it's sort of alluded to that she's killed them but Mm -hmm. we maybe find out later on that maybe she hasn't actually
2: killed them what i'm in gotham have you located a target not yet it's not easy when you're always looking over your shoulder you're letting your fear make you too cautious me you're the one who spent the last three months in the air, afraid to land anywhere because she might find you. She already got to Karima. No. In Lisbon, three days ago. We're the only two left. No. Hold on. Devon? Devon, what is it? What's going on? It's her. Kurare.
0: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we get this... Uh, and we'll, we'll certainly talk a lot more, I think, about the Chiari stuff in, in visuals, because she's a character that doesn't talk a lot, so most of the scenes involving her are very action-heavy. But, uh, yeah, she's throwing these, like... She brings this big, sharp sword that can cut through anything, but then when in the, the chips are down, she just throws this capsule this, of green gas. It explodes on two different guys' chests in the, in this episode, and... It makes their eyes roll in the back of their head, and then we later on get a a a "Don't worry, kids, they're not dead" line <laughs> from a paramedic <laughs> checking on the second assassin, uh, who uh, it's it's not that he that he's dead; his mind is just wiped. Which uh, you pointed out, Cal, is actually. There's, uh, there's precedent for this in the DCAU review, as uh, folks would know if they went back and listened to our review of Off Balance with that episode's director, Kevin Altieri. That's right. We mentioned and, and he mentioned uh, that they... Of course, uh, you know, standards and practices would not allow them, of course, to kill people, at least on screen. Uh, So instead they had the horrifying visual instead of uh, in that that opening scene of that episode, uh, Kevin mentioned that they so they had the idea of these sort of like capsules that they had stored in their mouths, which is a familiar trope and used in various different forms of. Uh, media and movies Mm -hmm. as as a way for them to to sort of uh hail hydra themselves Mm -hmm. on the way out so they wipe their minds by activating these capsules that release this this gas from underneath their masks and their eyes seem to roll into the back of their heads as well so yeah following up with that apparently she's weaponized these capsules and 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 is able to sort of just hurl them at people and able to do it excuse me not by hitting them in the face but by just hitting them right in the in the sternum yeah, so uh we she wipes out the uh, the monocled uh assassin leader who I don't believe gets a name. Nondescript assassin leader. That's right. Uh looks a little like Blofeld from uh, James Bond, as you mentioned. But there you uh go. Yeah, so from there we yeah, that, that assassin leader was talking to Mutrobothra. Uh we find out this uh nondescript accented man, which we will get to <laughs> in voice acting certainly <laughs> later on. Uh, who is now, the, once uh, once the assassin leader is taken care of, he is the sole remaining member of the Society of Assassins, and uh, he knows that Curare is coming for him, so he does what anyone would do. He goes to Gotham to track down the only person to ever defeat Curare, that, of course, being Batman. But he knows that Batman isn't likely to just help him uh out of the goodness of his heart considering that he is also a murderer and a killer and and uh terry kind of has that attitude that they that those two deserve each other and 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 whatever so he also plants a bomb uh in gotham city with the promise that if he does not give it some sort of verbal command every 12 hours that the bomb will go
2: off so this is all your fault what is when you prevented curare from killing her target The punishment for her failure was death. Unfortunately, we underestimated her. She fought back. One by one, she hunted us down. I am the only one left. And you are the only one who can keep me that way. And why should I care to? Because when she has finished with me, she will come after you. Thanks for the warning. I'll be sure to look for your name in the obits. I thought you might feel that way. So I took the liberty of providing a little incentive. I planted a bomb in your city. A rather large one. And set to go off unless it receives a properly coded signal from me every 12 hours. Go ahead. It won't do you any good. Only I know the codes. I'm not an unreasonable man. You help me defeat Curare, and I'll disarm the bomb. If not, if Curare gets to me first, boom. Gotham experiences a sudden population decline. He sort of forces Terry to act as
0: his bodyguard, and... The only other really wrinkle beyond there before we get to the the fighting and punching uh, towards the end of the episode is that uh, Bruce Wayne is out of town. Uh, They mentioned he's in Malaysia and he's unavailable. He can't be reached as there was some sort of natural disaster in the area recently. And uh, so we have Max taking a more active role as the the backup for Terry. Um, Terry tries to just get her to try to contact Bruce, but instead she takes it on herself to uh search this this assassin's hotel room to try to look for clues as where this bomb could be and uh has a run-in uh with kiare herself which uh she's only not dead because kiare didn't want her want her dead right (laughs) as we find out yeah speak max it's me any luck with bruce
1: the sat calms down for at least another hour i got the computer running an automated search just in case why aren't you at home Max, what's going on? Let's just say I'm doing a little search myself. Tell me you didn't go to his hotel room. This isn't a game, Max. I want you out of there now. Hey, your suit doesn't give you barking rights over me, McGinnis. Besides, as long as you got your eye on him, I don't see the danger. Max, oh, what's happening? Ow!
2: at the hotel my friend's there and then your friend is already gone i have to go back fool
0: she uh it's it it's an interesting scene because it certainly there's a lot of tension in it there's stuff visually that we'll talk about in a second that lead you to believe that maybe max has been killed a couple of times uh in that scene but of course uh we we learn as terry sort of uh leaves his guarding position bodyguard temporary bodyguard position to go find max he arrives at the hotel room and max is sort of huddled in the in the shower and very traumatized obviously Mm -hmm. for good reason uh and uh, Terry makes sure to remind her in this moment Because as they were they were over the comms uh, she, and, and QRA was attacking her She screamed out Terry uh, So after Terry sort of uh, calms her Sort of gives her the, you know Head home and, you know, stop playing superhero pep talk <laughs> uh, He reminds her also not to call him Terry Which I thought was very Batman Yeah, that was, very, that was a very cool moment
1: Max! Max! Terry. Oh. Are you all right? Yeah. As soon as she got a good look at me, she backed off. Aren't you going to yell at me? I figured you already got the message. I got to get back. You go home and stay there. And one more thing. Yeah? Don't call me Terry.
0: And, uh... Yeah, from there, as we mentioned, Kiara does in fact make it to Butro and uh and mind wipes him as well, and uh from there the only person left for her to go after is of course Batman himself, and so why while Terry and Max are able to sort of get a uh, get an idea of where this bomb that can no longer be disabled because the man's mind has been wiped uh, they they track it to this, this uh, museum of armaments mm-hmm. and weaponry, I guess. Yeah. Uh, throughout history, we see things like catapults. Again, we'll get more into this in visuals, but everything from tanks and catapults to uh, models of the atomic bomb are, are on display in this museum. Um, and uh, so while they're trying to search for the bomb of course, Curare attacks. So you have this sort of race against time as Max is searching through the museum. Meanwhile, Terry is, uh, is taking on the, probably his most physically, you know, at least hand to hand wise or, or straight up combat wise, the most dangerous foe he's ever fought, at least to this point in the series. For sure. Um, so that's, that's kind of a fun element. And then finally in, in, in the battle as, as Batman and Curare are fighting up in the rafters, uh, this model of the atomic bomb crashes down, and wouldn't you know it, he hid his big giant chemical bomb in the atomic bomb display. <laughs> How do you think he got it down off the ceiling I was, I was and like, re-raised it? Yeah, did he like disguise himself as like a construction worker he was like in a, in like a s- scaffolding <laughs> scaffolding or like a scissor lift? <laughs> so very intricate uh, to get it all the way up to, up top there, but he managed to do it and uh, of course the classic way uh, when you don't really have a way for anyone to disarm a bomb max just unplugs the timer and she just breaks things yeah and and and, hey it worked yeah what do you um so and that's and at the same time terry's able to disable curare and put the cuffs on her and we sort of end with just sort of this brief little heart to heart of of max kind of asking terry how does how does he do this all the time and more importantly how do you do this and not want to just tell everybody about it and 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 terry tells her that's that's one of the reasons he's so glad she she found out his secret is that now he does have someone his own age to talk to about these incredible adventures he's gone on so
1: how do you do it do what this hero thing
0: it's easier for me
1: i got the suit no how do you save the world and not tell anybody i can tell you You can tell me. That's why I'm glad you found out, partner.
0: It's, uh, oh, as we start to get towards our scores here for plot, it's not, uh, you know, the deepest episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's fun. It moves well. And you get, you get some nice little like friendship building for Terry and Max. Yeah. The episode, uh, Bruce is, uh, if you mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, Bruce is mentioned to be in Malaysia, I think. Uh, yes, I believe they say so. Uh, uh so he's, he's off and there, he's not able to be in contact with, with Terry due to some natural disaster that's happened there. Uh, they're not able to. really Max tries to get in touch with him, but is is still not able to do so. So Max sort of becomes the stand-in for Bruce as mm-hmm. Terry's support eyes on the ground, and while she creates her own sort of uh, troubles for for Terry yes. and for Batman and and stress where where Bruce may not have uh, done so. Uh, yeah, he he ends up at the end of this episode during this this little pep talk and 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 speech. Where Max is is questioning how he doesn't just go around telling everybody that he's Batman. Uh, he calls her partner. He he mm-hmm. tells you know, which is a very uh, which is a very telling sign and certainly an advancement of this character and how this relationship is going to look going forward. Um, so and, and and knowing that that they were looking to. To make this less about Bruce as often as possible and make it more of a Terry-focused series, giving them the option to have episodes where Bruce maybe wasn't the focal point or wasn't even an ancillary character... And have somebody else stand in and still have him be that, or have him have a Oracle-type character mm-hmm. as support, uh, I think does move move the, or, like, the characters are certainly different, as we always talk about, you know, do, are the characters in a different place than when this episode started? And certainly the the partnership between Max and Terry certainly advances after this episode. Yeah, um, so like I said, I, I don't love this episode, but I do think it's it's pretty fun, and I settled on a seven out of ten for my plot score. Nice. Uh, I went just a tick lower. I went six out of ten. I don't. I think you're right. It, there's not a lot. Um, there's not a lot. There's nothing wrong with this episode. I think. Uh, it's sad that this is the last appearance that we get, at least in the animated series of Curare. She may have made a comic appearance I believe so, yes. uh, After this uh, in the tie-in comic, but uh, she does not make another appearance here in the animated uh, Batman Beyond series. So, this is sort of her swan song, and a character that was very interesting and certainly um, I think could have been used again. But the ending is sort of anticlimactic. Batman just kind of puts the cuffs on her after this uh, very intense battle scene that we'll talk about in in just a little bit in visuals, but uh, it, you know it left a little bit to be desired and it's a little bit it reminded me a little bit of the blight episode, the last blight episode that we see. it's like mm-hmm. it's it's sort of just this is the end of this character. we don't see them used again. It's like ah doesn't doesn't quite feel like they do a character <laughs> who is such a unique and focal point of even though this character was only used in two episodes. You know, a, a unique character that had an interesting story and is just sort of tied up in a very typical Batman sort of way. So, not having additional use for this character, it feels like. Uh, maybe this character was a little bit more disposable than than I originally thought or remembered. Yeah. <laughs> remembered <laughs> uh, Batman beyond having uh, having cure RAB. So um, that's why I ended up giving it a six out of ten. There is some fun aspects to it. Again, I think the biggest thing is the. The advancement of the relationship between Max and Terry, and mm-hmm. uh, him having another, uh, you know, another another partner in this this journey to to go along with him, and to certainly like you like you pointed out, somebody his own age, somebody that's yeah. in his own high school, uh, somebody that can relate to, and he can share this information with, and talk about, and um, you know that that can that is in on the secret, and also there to support him through it. And is, you know, experiencing a lot of this for the first time the same way Terry is versus Bruce, who, you know, has seen it all by this point, you know, zombies, immortal, mortal witch boys, uh, you know, multiple alien invasions, all this stuff that he's, he's faced over his career. Right. Plus he's this cantankerous old man on top of it. So it's like, (laughs) I don't, I don't think there's, Terry doesn't get to geek out, uh, very much, very much when uh, when he's when he's talking to Bruce. So yeah, having a having a different character there to uh, to to uh, bounce dialogue off of and discuss this stuff with is uh, is a lot of fun. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, with that said, I you know I don't. There's nothing offensive about it. I think that there are aspects of it that are interesting. I think the idea of Curare kind of going back and exacting revenge on this would have been interesting to maybe fill in some of the gaps as to what happened between the end of that first episode where we see them kind of catching up to her and, and like, she's the hunted, and then all of a sudden she's the hunter in this ep or huntress in this episode. Yeah. Um, you know, so what, you know, filling in some of those gaps, maybe, maybe a storyline where uh these these people that whose mind that she wiped maybe they weren't it wasn't successful or, or you mm-hmm. know somebody comes back to exact revenge on her that is still part of this organization or what have you uh, would have been a nice maybe capper for the trilogy, but obviously. We didn't get that, so yeah. <laughs> fantasy booking that maybe for a uh, a follow-up Batman Beyond series if, uh, cross. if uh, HBO Max decides to uh, partake. All right, Lan, let's move on to our next category, which will be visual and animation. Uh, so I believe Coco and who's the other animation team done for yeah, this? Yeah, it's always sort of marked as uh, Coco slash Dong Yang. I think it was just a different name uh, used for the for the same company gotcha um, and they they often worked with or they were not a not the same company but they often worked together with uh with coco and i think also with tms as well so kind of a joint effort as it often is between coco and uh and don yang of course and so we're you know moving from the uh hand drawn cell animation that we had last uh last month with the Superman animated series of course we're moving back into digital animation here digital color palettes uh, stuff like that so a little, a little bit visually different um, and uh, anything I, I guess there are a couple standout scenes and sequences that we' will we'll get into talking about here but uh, what stood out for you as far as visuals uh, there's yeah I think there's uh, once again I think the design of curaRA and the the sword play we get throughout the episode, I think is, is very cool and very, that's a really interesting, she just has this sword that's so sharp that it can cut through anything. She cuts through, you know, the door of a plane at one point, she cuts through the, you know, the cannon, you know, the cannon on a tank, uh, you know, all this crazy stuff uh, she's able to do with the sword and just how quickly she moves and everything in, in the first fight, uh, between her and this assassin leader with the monocle that we mentioned. That's, uh, that's actually something that maybe ties into plot a little bit too, but they seem to sort of imply that each member of this society of assassins had like their own specialty mm-hmm. because of course, Kiari has her sword and, uh, and uh, monocle guy has has throwing uh, throwing star shuriken that he's very adept with. He even manages to cut her. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, no blood shown, but to uh, <laughs> does, does slice her her garments slightly. Yeah. So it's implied, uh, and then and then uh, Butra that he just has like explosives, I guess, for his specialty. Big guns. Yes, he has a big gun that he shoots like just randomly when he <laughs> thinks he might have seen something in a bush. Or I laughed. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there the scene after Batman. Leaves to go rescue Max from Curare. Uh, Curare, Curare then, of course, uh, stumble You know, leaves Max and goes and finds Butro, and uh, we we see him under a bridge. And he comes out under the bridge, and there's some rustling in a bush, and he pulls out this. Big rocket launcher or like grenade launcher or something like <laughs> yep. that just fires it openly into the bush. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty interesting there. But I agree with you. I think the the animation and the way that they they visualized her, both her speed, mm-hmm. again the weapon, the scimitar or whatever you want to call the mm-hmm. the, the her sword um makes her feel like a formidable threat to this to whether it's you know these assassins that and and their henchmen that have you know guns and weapons and uh other, various other weapons or batman himself who has this super futuristic suit obviously mm-hmm. uh so either way it makes her feel she's obviously and she's just wearing sort of like normal like cloth garb from what we can right? tell yeah and uh, just brandishing this sword, so it's it's interesting to make her into a formidable opponent for these other hi- in this high tech, super futuristic neo Gotham where everything is you know is techno- technologically mm-hmm. advanced. She's just got a sword and like a <laughs> robe, and she's still kicking butt. Yeah, she does. She does have like a Boba Fett jetpack uh, <laughs> that she uses to right. escape the uh, the plane at one point. But yes. Yeah, to your point, I think that is something because even in in that final battle with Terry uh, in the museum, um, she he is on the the, de- the defensive almost the entire time. He's just avoiding being cut in half. Right. Um, he is he looks kind of constantly overmatched. Where even to this point in the series, he's you know quite a capable fighter in his own right, and obviously he's trained with Bruce. And as you mentioned, he has this you know this incredible suit with all this technology, and he's still just kind of barely. Like he, he's kind of playing keep away um, for a lot of that, a lot of that final fight, which I think uh, makes for a really interesting dynamic. Where Batman is uh, not charging head on into it, and he isn't a match for her hand to hand, so he has to be smarter about it. He has to try to get some distance and use the batarangs and use some of his gadgets to try to try to even the odds a bit. And she's just. Um, uh, just coming after him uh, with with such fury. I, I think that that final scene in the museum really stands out as far as just capturing the sort of fluidity and ferocity of of Curare and kind of the intelligence of Terry to kind of try to keep his distance throughout that whole fight and kind of use the gadgets to try to even the odds. Yeah, he uses he uses you know he uses certainly uses the things that are available at his disposal. Also using different elements of the museum and bombs and like mm-hmm. you said other other tanks and a, weapons a working plasma <laughs> pack or something that's on display that he throws at her and explodes all over Kyrare and Max. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he, he he clearly I mean using he's it's very batman using your resources which you have available Mm -hmm. uh to in order to sort of uh do what you can to defeat uh defeat him there um we do get uh, i think more max i think in this episode than we've certainly had her in previous episodes uh she gets to show off her avoidance skills from being (laughs) avoid being killed by an assassin uh i I mentioned before we didn't mention i don't think when we were going through the the plot but uh, they do confirm that max knows that bruce wayne is the mysterious guy (laughs) now by the way
1: how much time do we have curare's
0: last sighting puts
1: her at least three hours away i'm gonna meet mutro outside his hotel in about half an hour what's the plan he's the bait when she shows i'll get in between them this bomb business could get bad I'm going to need your help, Max. You know you can count on me, Tare. What do you want me to do? You've got to find a way to contact my partner. Oh. You know, I never really told you his name. Wait. Let me guess. Just a shot in the dark here. Could it be Bruce Wayne?
0: I guess it wasn't very hard to figure out. (laughs)
1: Like, the first day.
0: But as she's sort of filling in for for Bruce in this episode and and being... uh, a help or slash hindrance to Terry as mm-hmm. she goes out on her own and does her own sort of investigation. Uh, we mentioned that she's in Butra's uh, hotel room, and then then Kirare breaks in, thinking that Butra is going to be there and it, at least a couple of times appears to kill <laughs> to kill Max. There's a interesting thing that they do with their silhouettes where you see uh, Curare's silhouette go up with a sword and Max is on the ground and the sword drives down into what looks like Max, mm-hmm. but then it's a quick cut to the very next scene which is shows that the sword went into an ottoman instead, which mm-hmm. I thought was a neat trick. Yeah. They, I, I feel like maybe if they would hung on it a little bit longer and I, I imagine standards and practices probably wouldn't let them do that. Yes. But if you hung on it a little bit longer, that would have built up that tension a little bit of like, Oh my gosh, Max is dead. <laughs> like they just showed her kill Max. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some trickery in the next, next part. Also, as we mentioned, she's on, uh, Max is on the comm link with, with Terry at the time and trying to get him to, to, to come save her. And she's hiding in the shower and you just hear Max, this curl, blood-curling scream as, mm-hmm. uh, as Curare slices through this uh, shower curtain. And uh, that visually I thought was very horror movie-esque. A mm-hmm. good, like, you know, psycho yeah. or like... You know, good no- nods to those classic. Oh, you know, I'm h- the teenager is hiding someplace, and the-, the killer, you know, they're hiding in the worst, pl- most obvious place right. ever, and the the killer comes slicing through with their knife, very dramatically through the mm-hmm. through the shower curtain. But I I thought that those were those were neat visuals. Um, but I I think to me, the absolute standout comes from that final scene with Mm -hmm. with Terry versus Curare. There's one particular sequence uh, that I think really blew both of us away. Yeah, uh, for sure. So as we mentioned, there's sort of all these different displays and up above and kind of the which by the way the display batman fighting a villain in a museum is such that that's a that's a batman trope from any and every generation that's a great that's a great point like you could definitely see that in in batman 66 or some Mm -hmm. of the dick spring 50s comics you could see it in a comic nowadays you could see it in the the original animated series for sure it's just a classic batman trope where there's gonna be a battle and it's with a villain so why not put it in the setting of a, a a museum. Yeah, no, it's it's a great, one, it's a very unique setting because you, uh, it's, it's not something, you can do a lot of fun stuff with what's on display, as you mentioned he, like, there's this plasma weapon on display, like we mentioned, and he throws it, and Chiari slices through it, and all this goo goes everywhere and, and as we mentioned, yeah, he, they, they go up into the rafters where all of these models of different, you know, World War One and two fighter planes and it's kind of newer more modern looking jets or uh, and missiles and bombs and all this stuff and Terry sort of flies up into it and it you know pulls out batterings and starts ringing down and he starts shooting out like the I guess those are also batterings the little wrist gauntlet the ones. discs like a yeah, discs. yeah it's like the little discs with like teeth on the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, those aren't the full batterings, but he, the ones he can kind of shoot at, kind of rapid fire out of his ring. He's just raining these down on her. And as they do that, they cut to the shot of, of Curare, like jumping on to all these different uh different eras of fighter planes and missiles and weapons just jumping avoiding the batterings, and then jumping on to the next one it looked Cal, like they actually used a little bit of cgi with that shot right but they did a very good job of sort of cell shading on top of that cgi Mm -hmm. so it doesn't look quite as noticeable as you know a few other times we've talked about cgi in these cartoons it can can look a little wonky or out of place if it's if it's not done uh quite right and this one it it actually works really well to see and really adds as we mentioned to that really getting across just how incredible of uh like an athlete and how how fast and ferocious curare is as she's jumping up and slicing through the 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 ropes they're holding up these different weapons and uh, all, all the the planes and, and missiles begin falling down, as you mentioned, and Max is kind of dodging the debris as it's falling. Like, it's a really incredible sequence. Yeah, the way that the camera placement was, too, you know, you could have just done, you know, maybe a side panoramic shot or, I mean, a, a, a side-scrolling type shot of her running up these different planes. But the fact that the the perspective is sort of the cam she's running towards the camera and the camera shot is sort of panning backwards as she jumps from different you know plane to plane mm-hmm. uh, just a really great shot and you know i think we pointed out right away i think you pointed out right away was, hey i think that was that was cgi which obviously i've been a huge critic mm-hmm. of the use of the cgi sure. especially you know if you go back in the archives at dcaureview.com and you check out some of Maybe, you know, StarCrossed or some of the, the mm-hmm. other JL or JLU episodes where they started incorporating the CGI that wasn't cell shaded, it's more of the, the traditional CGI mm-hmm. uh, for that era. It stands out. It looks really, really bad. This they did do that cell shading, and if you're familiar, you know, if you watch The Simpsons or Family Guy or any of you know modern cartoons, this is or Futurama even. Mm-hmm. There, this is a this is a practice that they incorporate in those where they have something that's difficult, or they want to use a certain pan shot or something, and in order to most effectively do that, or I guess it's probably easier for the for the animators, instead of having to, to draw these things individually, mm-hmm. having a, a computer-generated image, but then so that it still fits within the universe that you're watching, they sort of create these thicker, bolder lines over top of it, which makes it not stand out as much. You can still usually identify it as, a okay, that was CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what made this most effective is, too, that it was, it was a very quick shot, too. Yes. It was maybe maybe five to seven seconds long Mm -hmm. maybe so it's a very quick shot your your it's your brain almost doesn't have time to catch up with the fact that oh this is not normal animation here this this doesn't this stands out in a way that's okay this is unsettling like you don't have your brain doesn't have time Mm -hmm. to almost catch up with that um you know we watched it a few different times just because it was so impressive and that's when your brain starts okay this doesn't there are some things here that don't don't fit with the normal animation style Mm -hmm. that you can kind of pull quicker but if you're just watching Mm -hmm. it through it stands out as such an impressive shot and again it it certainly adds depth to that character of Kirare and brings out that idea that she's a she's she's fast she's threatening mm. she's coming for batman here for sure and even even just like cuz i think if they were all just painted into the background and she was hopping from one to one it would still be a cool cool shot based on how it was framed and and everything but having that the having them be cgi so that they can kind of wobble and shake as yeah. she's jumping to them I think added to that that feeling of how like how again how acrobatic she is how fluidly she moves and and how quickly she's moving up these things towards Batman as you said we're kind of almost have a Batman type POV shot looking down on her jumping up Uh, really yeah it was really really uh, excellent job uh, with that and yeah for, for that scene, like I said, a, a lot of the episode, I was kind of like, well, this is just all right. Mm-hmm. And then that final scene, I think, pushed my score way up. And I ended up with a 9 out of 10 for visuals. Nice. Yeah, I went with the same exact score for that. I went at 9 out of 10. There was one little hiccup that I noticed. Uh, the first scene with Butra and Batman. Uh, Batman shows up in a, you know, Butra gets his attention by shooting, a, I think, shooting a rocket at him or shooting a yes. gun at him. Uh, so Batman Batman pulls down in the Batmobile, and they have this discussion on a roof, and there's a cut that happens, and they cut back to Batman, and it's just a little bit further, you know, far away shot, and Batman's standing next to the Batmobile, and there's some perspective issues where the Batmobile is suddenly much smaller than it should be. Yes. Like, Batman is, is like, bigger or as big as the Batmobile itself, <laughs> and I know there's a line later on where Terry mentions that the Batmobile wasn't built for two people. Yes. But in most shots, you can tell the Batmobile is certainly larger, a right. lot larger uh, than bat- a <laughs> single human being. The cockpit is small, but yeah, with the the sh- the the vehicle itself never looks tiny, human size right, or exactly. man size. Certainly, like it's yeah, th- yeah. There was definitely a little bit of, of perspective issues there. I, uh, you were uh, you pointed that out, and it was it was pretty hard to unsee. After, That's right. Uh, after that but it's a strong one visually otherwise uh, a fun character and again lends to to me it lends to man i wish we had more curare Mm -hmm. story to go on after this because she is such a visually interesting character not only just the way that she looks uh with the blue skin color and the white robes and the you know the white uh the white mask and all that but then you know the way that she moves the weapon the visualization of her her strength and her mm-hmm. skills and all of that so uh and and the way that terry is forced to sort of combat those so uh sad that, sad that there's not not more here yeah that's yeah, definitely a, definitely a bummer because she's a she's a really fun visual character to talk about for sure all right, man, let's move on to our next category for today, which is going to be music. Uh, so Batman Beyond has released one soundtrack on uh, CD or whatever. <laughs> They've released one soundtrack. Uh, it sort of encompassed several of the first uh, maybe five or seven episodes of season one. Unfortunately, Uh, That is all of this soundtrack that they've released so far. Uh, So these tracks are not able to be listened to in isolation, so you're kind of listening on the fly as you go. Um, There was one musical cue that I thought was a bit of a callback. Uh, That was the only one that stood out for me. The rest of it, it just seemed like general filler. There's not really a strong curare theme that sticks Mm -mm. out uh, we've talked a lot about how the the Batman Beyond soundtrack was designed to sort of just advance the action. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of it, and because of the sound that it is heavy in drums and heavy in guitar, mm-hmm. it can kind of blend into to the background if there isn't something unique that stands out. Um, what did you think of the soundtrack this week? Yeah, I didn't. I don't have a ton of notes. I I, uh, I something that I do remember from the first QRI episode is those there was like. While there wasn't a traditional theme, it was very um, percussion-based. That theme, right? Uh, it was a lot of of, uh, of like conga drums and other other sort of acoustic drum sounds that sort of built into the. And then as the action kicked off, then you'd bring in the rock. Um, and we didn't really get that on display here. This episode, I mean, it still takes place at night, but we don't. It doesn't quite have that sort of eerie dark atmosphere that the the first episode with curare had sure um so we don't really it's mostly it's just the yeah the action beats are punctuated by what you would expect you know electric guitar uh fast you know fast-paced you know high tempo drums and um the only the only few like unique moments i noticed were i think in the alley when terry is he's in like his camouflage mode and he's following uh, Butra down the alley and they're sort of discussing curare and, and sort of what the plan is here there's some kind of nice little atmospheric mu- music there where it's just sort of like a little bit of like synthesizer it sounded like mm-hmm. and some of them uh you know some it's it's really it's quite atmospheric and building that tension of of terry kind of being on being in like a lookout and you're kind of waiting for the for the bad guy to strike and and then yeah, I think the the music during the final fight was was very was was solid and, and high tempo. But uh, I know you mentioned you had one uh, that that you'd like to talk about, so I will throw it back over to you here. Thanks. Yeah, the only uh, the only thing that I th- I thought that reminded me uh, or or seemed a little bit familiar there was it's the scene when when Terry is is rushing back to the hotel room after Max has been cut off and you hear that blood curling scream and Terry sort of it, rushes away and he's he's running into and through the, the hotel to try and get to Max or find Max. And the music I felt was very similar to, had a very similar feel to the music that plays when Terry rushes it in, back into his, uh, his dad's house at, at rebir- uh, rebirth, Wow! rebirth. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that horrifying discovery where he realizes that, uh, what he thinks at the time is the Joker's uh, have um. killed his dad, and uh, some some sad, sad, scary, terrifying music that sort of sort of uh, crescendos at that point, and you get the similar crescendo to the point where Terry runs into this bathroom and pulls back the you know, pulls back the the shower curtain and, and Max is there alive, though, this time. Mm-hmm. So I felt like some of those notes were similar. It's certainly a similar feeling piece. It's not a one-for-one use of the same audio, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely a, a similar piece, which I, I felt plays into that. They're building the tension, like, oh my goodness, has this happened again? Has Terry lost somebody else that he's right. loved? Uh, but this time, because as Batman, you know, so uh, I, I thought that the beats of that, that... Uh, f- stuck out as far as being similar in, in tone and, and, and feeling that that uh, piece from from Rebirth uh, did so um, all that uh, it not, again nothing offensive as I always say about the music here uh, but nothing really stuck out too much uh, that one piece I think maybe brought up the score just a little bit for me so I ended up giving music a 6 out of 10 yeah I'm, uh, I'm right in that same ballpark a little bit lower there at 5 out of 10 Um yeah, I I like uh I like I like the music. Like I guess I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but you don't have that standout sort of atmosphere building music that I think was present in the in the Fierce first Q R A episode. All right. So- Well, let's move on to our voice actors, Liam. Uh, Not a huge cast this week. Uh, Obviously, when one of your villains, uh, although we do find out that she had somebody cast as maybe her grunting, uh, (laughs) and you have an interesting theory as to why that was the case. We'll get to that in just a second here. But when your, your main main antagonist is a mute uh you don't really have to have a large voice cast here uh, but we do have uh, a couple of voices here notable for other uh connections to the dcau uh so let's talk about this week's voice cast yeah so we can just mention her since there's the least to say about her Uh, (laughs) melissa disney uh doing the i guess the adr the oofs and uhs of the fight (laughs) scenes of Kirare who uh, does also voice Blade, uh, one of Terry's classmates on Batman Beyond. Uh, And, uh, yeah, so there was, uh, maybe about a year ago or so, James Tucker was talking about some sort of moments that he, as a storyboard artist or director, added that sort of changed the stories a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, One was a moment in Legacy where Professor Hamilton sort of looks very scared of Superman. That wasn't in the original script, and he, he... drew it that way and that obviously becomes a big lynch point of a justice league uh, storyline later yeah um but with, for kirare it's mentioned that in in the first episode uh, there's a shot of her mask coming off and i think in the script he said it was just she just like knocks batman down and puts the mask back on and we don't see anything but he put that shot of like the back of her head where she's bald and has like it looks like she's had some sort of damage done to her to her Mm -hmm. face and she looks disfigured and you get that shot of batman looking like horrified back at her Mm -hmm. and uh he mentioned that that wasn't in the script and that it actually kind of for lack of a better term ruined this idea that that glenn murakami who's a producer on this series had uh to sort of make her an an electra type character sort of uh you know assassin femme fatale potential even you know future romance uh you know uh, option for terry later on in the series and so i wonder if they had cast an actress for her with the idea that there will eventually be an idea uh, or an episode where she talks and where she and she and T- Terry kind of have developed more of a, of a relationship, but the James, so yeah, my, this may or may not be all James Tucker's fault that we never get another, uh, <laughs> a, uh, appearance because, uh, once, I guess once they couldn't do the, uh, the Electra angle with her, they, they ran out of ideas for, her. but gotcha. uh, that's, but it, yeah, I, I, that was fascinating. I thought though, that you, you, you shared that before we went on the air and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think it makes as much sense as anything. Like, why else would you have an actual actress unless it was just, Oh, um, while well, she's here recording these blade voices anyway right. so if she's a female let's just have her do some of this this voice work for this character that we're not sure whether or not they're ever actually going to speak or not yeah i mean you you would have assumed it would have just been either like in this episode obviously kree summer is, as max is in it a lot of times if there's not you know if it's not a lot of dialogue you'll have a lot of actors pull double or even triple duty sometimes so the fact that it was just going to be some grunts and groans you would have expected maybe they would have gotten her or andrea romano herself or another one of the you know female writers or producers who come in to do uh you know background voices from time to time uh maybe would have gotten the call instead but yeah the it, i i do think it's interesting that uh that they had cast like an actual you know regular voice voice artist in that role and I wonder if there were uh were some plans to uh to bring her back at some point that just never came to fruition. Definitely possible. Um alright, who else do we have here as far as uh as voice cast is concerned? So briefly as the uh the Blofeld slash Doctor Mindmender esque uh, assassin leader that we meet at the start, we have uh, Victor Rivers, who uh DCAU fans would know best as the voice of Commander Hrotalik, I have to say his name like that <laughs> uh can't help it um but uh not yes. hawkman as no, we as we so endearingly call all. him he is definitely not hawkman not actual hawkman not from uh, from starcrossed of course That's which right. we covered back on episode 100 if you care to uh, hear us discuss his performance on that episode absolutely yes yeah, just a minor role but obviously worth pointing out because Certainly. he has a connection to a you know a hugely important character to uh, another series in the in the DCAU. but uh, for sure funny as soon as we heard it we're like well we know that guy and then he said like two more words and i was like that's rotelic <laughs> <laughs> like yeah you called that pretty early he has that he just has such a specific sort of uh uh, uh accent like a spanish accent to mm-hmm. his voice uh, this cadence is very yes. identifiable as well yes for sure Burare. not my weapon of choice but i won't hesitate to
2: use it i not as easy as your other targets what society of assassins train us both well Kurate. no one can match your skill with that sword but I'll never let you get close enough to use it
0: and uh, then uh, as a Mutro Bacha Bot- Bathra, Botra I, I've been calling him Botra this whole time I think I it's Botra I don't it, he, well, here herein lies the problem <laughs> of why we don't quite know how to pronounce the name, and that is that uh, uh, Tim Curry is doing the voice here. Tim Curry, of course, famous for things like Rocky Horror Picture Show, and as uh, maybe more uh, hardcore DCAU fans like us would know, he was the original voice of the Joker and even recorded several of those early uh, production order Batman the animated series Joker episodes. But yeah, we just talked about him a little bit on our uh Batman Christmas with the Joker watch along uh, which you can right. hear in the archives at dcaureview.com are are one of our uh, latest bonus episodes that we recorded. Absolutely, definitely check that out. Um but uh, yeah, so he was the original voice for the Joker, of course, as as fate and luck would have it, Mark Hamill en- ends up getting that job and and tim curry uh, pops up actually quite a few times across the series in sort of different minor roles but in this episode and i think it works because they're these like globe trotting assassins so you don't necessarily want to be like oh he's specifically from this country sure i think that's another thing we talked about with kevin altieri Correct. um in our off balance review is that you know these people have been around a long time and they've been all over the world so they're they they do not have initially uh an easy to pin down accent but this accent that Butra has in this episode, or Bantra has in this episode, is like, it's a little bit German, it's a little bit South African, it's a little bit, uh, like, there's a little bit of, like, Europe, yeah, like, other, like, Europe, Europe in it, like, yeah. it's, it's kind of a, it really takes us around the globe on it, and so when he, he says his name, I'm like, he, what, his name's what? <laughs> Um, but he has I mean he I think he does a good job in that he's kind of playing this smug guy who's obviously basically holding the city for ransom because he doesn't want to die Mm -hmm. um and and kind of gets his comeuppance in a a strange way when when does get to him and and wipes his mind doesn't kill him but uh (laughs) yeah the, the accent he goes with is so like take go from line to line from word to word it sound like yeah, it can sound more like New Zealand, South African and sometimes it sounds more uh, yeah, more more European in, in some other parts and it's a very, very unique uh, unique performance from that occurs. That it is. Saying. That's funny I mean and it's not bad, but it yeah. is it is at times it felt a little bit just dis- like distracting because he is one of the main voices that we hear besides you know we'll talk about Wilfred fridel and Chris summer in just a second but mm. he is one of the main voices that we hear so he has he's one of the heavier dialogue characters here so you get a lot of it and it does as you mentioned seem to morph from scene to scene and it's yeah, it it is. It can be a little distracting at times because your brain's <laughs> like, "What is this accent?" And just when your brain feels like it is settled on one particular area, he throws in like some other nuanced version of another accent, and you're just like, "All right, well, no, nope, it's definitely not that type of accent." Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's not bad. I think you right. think he plays the character well. I just think maybe settling on one like or two accents instead of this conglomeration of smorgasbord of five or six accents could have could have made the performance a little bit easier to uh or less distracting i'll say that
2: batman come in i can't stay hidden forever batman number one, curate. Eh? Always hold on to your weapon. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think I think that's a that's a fair uh, summation of that. And then, as you mentioned, we have our two main players. No Kevin Conroy in this episode, as mentioned. No Bruce Wayne at all. So it is uh, Will Friedle as Terry McGinnis and Cree Summer as Max who sort of carry the episode. And as we mentioned, that was kind of our, our favorite part of the plot. Uh, I I like I like Cree Summer a lot in this episode because again, I think she isn't just. The person who's either giving terry exposition like she has been in a few other episodes nor is she just like you know the sassy sidekick who just quips it quips it up like she's she goes through a lot in this episode she very nearly dies yeah and she is like clearly shaken by that and i think you hear it in that voice performance when when uh batman returns to the hotel room and then later on when they're talking in the uh in the in max's apartment and they're sort of just going over their plans and everything like she goes through a lot in this episode and then certainly near the end as as she's sort of dodging debris and, and trying to figure out how to disarm this bomb uh, i think she does a really good job
1: Can you disarm it? If I had some help... You're on your own, Max. Mm.
2: Mm. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't
1: know. Max, we're running out of time here. go
0: home now no i agree i think i think she does have i mean terry is pretty much batman the entire time with the exception of maybe that last scene um well, i guess and the brief interactions that she has w- with him out of costume or you know with a sort of regrouping uh, after she's had this experience with curare but um you know it's it's a lot of it is is her dialogue and it's her you know like you said it would have been very easy for them, and some of that goes to the writing aspect, but it would have been easy just to make her the quit machine uh, for this <laughs> for this episode, as we often see the the sidekick or the you know the secondary character to the main hero reduced to at times um but she does a great job i think she does a great job with the with the audio or you know with the lines that she has um there are some of those maybe in this episode but uh, you know they were able to sort of allow this character to build a little bit and having somebody that is is um is able to deliver those lines and certainly various amounts of emotion there's some mm-hmm. the sort of like rebellious attitude as she's as she's in the hotel mm-hmm. room defiantly uh, <laughs> acting against what what Terry had asked her or told her to do uh there's some of the like the smugness as she sort of reveals to Terry as we mentioned that she knew the whole time that Bruce Wayne was her benefit was his benefactor or, you mm-hmm. know the, the person that's sort of pulling the string so to speak and then uh you know her regrouping and this idea of her being a failure and messing up the whole thing by you know uh, making terry leave his his post as guarding butra to to come save her which allowed curare the opportunity to wipe his mind causing the the bomb location to just be you know now it's indiscoverable Mm -hmm. at this point um to then her quickly recovering and using math as you know (laughs) figuring out trigonometry using trigonometry to figure out where the bomb itself was and then uh, the final scene, as we mentioned, between the two of them, where he he calls her, where where Terry calls her his partner, and she, you know, kind of has this excitement and this realization that she's kind of in this now, and she uh-huh. gets Terry's kind of welcomed her, whereas before and for a lot of the episode, he didn't want her involved or seemed to not want her involved. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I think that, that plays off, uh, pl- pl- pretty well. And certainly Will, Wilfredell and, 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 Creed Summer play off each other really well in this episode. And yeah, seeing Terry have to be the, the experienced one stepping into the, the more serious role and not having the sort of security blanket of, of Bruce Wayne in his ear is, is, is kind of a fun dynamic as well, because, Again, especially I think as the as that final battle scene starts and he's again really really on the defensive for a lot of it and it it is kind of a, a cool moment for Terry and in, in addition to him sort of strengthening his bond with Max to also just sort of have to be like all right like this is something we gotta we gotta figure this out for ourselves because the old man's not gonna you know step in at the last second with the you know with with the winning formula we just got to figure this out so yeah I think I think they both do a very good job. Uh, like I said, the rest of the cast is largely not not important to the episode, right. or uh, or has a confusing accent. <laughs> uh, that being said, I I still settled on a on a pretty high eight out of ten for my my voice acting. Oh well, what didn't you know? I gave it the same exact score, eight <laughs> out of ten. I think maybe with a little bit less distracting of a uh, of an accent for Mr. Curry, maybe a little, a little higher because I don't think anybody did anything wrong in this episode. Uh, but uh, yeah, pulling off of what. Again, just reiterating what we just said, but... Chris summer and, and Wilford do, do the majority of the heavy lifting here and Mm -hmm. they do a great job. They have chemistry together too, which works. Um, and it's going to be very important based on certainly this relationship going forward and what, what, you know, her being sort of a part of this team, uh, if they didn't have any, any chemistry, that would be, that would have been really painful. Uh, so the fact that they have some, (laughs) some individually, they're good voice actors and then together they still have chemistry, uh, obviously very, very important. So, yeah, great, great job by the uh, the voice acting and certainly the voice casting. As we always give shout outs to Andrea Romano, uh, you know, excellent, excellent job for this episode. For you know the limited amount of people that needed to be used, uh, but certainly uh, those that were that were called upon had to be people that could could sort of carry the carry the torch, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, great, great job overall. Absolutely. All right, Liam. Well, this will bring us to our final scores for this week's episode. Tallying everything up for me, I end up with a pretty impressive uh, 29 out of 40. What about you? Yeah, I uh, ended up with the exact same score. <laughs> that being 29 out of 40. Uh, yeah, you would think we don't, but you would think that we discuss our scores before this. this <laughs> is, we go on the air, but we really don't. Um, That's right. We right. We just have a similar idea and, and appreciation for various different uh, aspects here of, of the episode. So, all right. So, this is an interesting one to discuss rewatchability, I guess, Liam. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, at the start of the episode, several times we've mentioned this is a follow-up to a Kirare episode, which was pretty integral to that initial Batman Beyond season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have... Uh, certainly, advancement between the Max and Terry relationship. Right. You have uh, a, a a verification or solidification of Max admitting that she knows that Bruce Wayne is the person that is uh, is the voice on the other end of Terry's radio com most of the time, and uh, so there's some some movement there. We did mention though that there's this is the end of Curare, so there's right. nothing else to follow up on the ending of Curare Just sort of being handcuffed. There's no, we don't know. Does she go to prison? Does she go to she go to whatever Arkham or whatever is right now? Like what what happens to her? We don't we don't get a follow up uh, story here, uh, so we're not we're not quite sure here. So where does this fall for you as far as rewatchability is concerned? Um, I think this is one of my patented one thumb up rewatchers yeah that um, makes sense. <laughs> because of what we mentioned here it is it does play directly on the events of another episode and follows up on them but uh you know it does sort of wrap itself up and as you mentioned we never see this character again so um yeah i think i think just the returning of a, of a of a you know a very cool villain combined with the Terry and Max stuff. I would give this one thumb up, but I don't <laughs> think there's a ton in here because to me, I didn't think before I watched this episode. I didn't think I was never thinking like, oh, Terry's never like come out and said exactly that he's working with Bruce Wayne. Like I kind of figure like. Like publicly, he works with Bruce Wayne. That's his job. That all of his friends and uh, his girlfriend, who deserves better, knows. <laughs> um, that's what that's what he tells them he's doing. And then all of a sudden, it you know, when you find out he's he's the new Batman, well, it's like, well, who, who's the old Batman? Oh, probably that old guy he's always hanging around. With. Right. <laughs> like so, I, like I didn't think it was like, oh my gosh, it's this big revelation. And even in the dialogue, as we pointed out, like Max is like, yeah, I know. Like, who else was it? Right. So I wouldn't say it's like this big grand revelation, but it is obviously there are episodes later on where Max and and Bruce interact uh, that maybe play off of or build on, you know, off of this episode a little bit. So Yeah, like I said, I think I think I'd give it one thumb up for uh, for rewatchability. Yeah, I I agree. I I think the final sequence and certainly the battle, there's enough there's enough entertainment and action in this episode to mm-hmm. recommend it um you know if you do care that, that episode that first episode with Kirare ends on that that cliffhanger of her flying away and the sword falling through so it's almost a to me it's almost a you have to because it's the resolution to that character even if that resolution isn't completely satisfying That's right it's like episode uh, episode nine <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's good it's the end it's the end you have to see it right That's exactly right. um so yeah, I I guess I guess I would say this is a this is a must-watch for that reason alone. If it was a standalone episode without a reoccurring villain, then I think that maybe you would, I would be singing a different tune here. Although we always talk about it, you know, do the characters? Uh, we already stated the characters are different than when the episode started. T- uh, Terry is starts out and is still very reluctant to bring Max in and have her be a part of you know the whole bat family I guess yeah and by the end of the episode he's calling our partners so there is there is a shift in that mm-hmm. uh, there's certainly a shift in um, you know I guess the, the beyond the max and Terry dynamic max realizing or sort of going through a similar experience that the hero that the general hero of your story goes through which is this you know defeat in the middle of it and excitement at the beginning and cockiness and confidence and then sort of having the confidence ripped away from them when they when they're they feel like they've bungled it but then recovering and then saving the day in the end so she you know you get more depth to the max character um who you know maybe you didn't get quite Quite fleshed out in the in the prior episodes, uh, where she was she was more the focal point. So, um, yeah, I guess for those reasons, I guess I, I give it a give it a must watch. So, uh, there we have it. All right, Liam. Well, that will wrap us up for this week's episode thank you everybody for listening don't forget you can check us out uh, in our entire archives including that first QRA episode at dcaureview.com or on your favorite podcast app we are now hosting at anchor.fm so you can check us out there if you will Uh, you can also always find us still at dcaureview.com we break things down on our own website by villain series are the highest highs of our of our our rankings, uh, the best of the best episodes. We put that under our top picks section, so you can check that out. Uh, you can also certainly uh, again break things down by villain or series, or uh, have a whole bunch of different features there. You can also check out our store, our podcast merch store. There, uh, if you want to support the podcast, we don't run ads on our podcast at this time. <laughs> so, uh, because we don't like we don't like ads, we don't like podcasts with ads. So, uh, if you <laughs> want to support us, if you like us. Uh, then, uh, then, and you want to show us a little bit of love check out the store, get yourself a shirt a hat, a hoodie, a mug even and, uh, and, and let us know that you like us, tag us once you get your merch too, let us know that you're supporting us uh, you can also follow us on social media at DCAU review both on Instagram and Twitter and speaking of Twitter, Liam you run our Twitter page, that's where we talk about the episodes uh, during the week, uh, all other things DCAU, even some standard DC Continuity and, of course, where we like to preview our upcoming episodes, uh, which we will do right here, right now. We've probably already talked about it this week on on Twitter. But uh, what's coming up next week on next week's episode of the DCAU Review? That's right. So it'll be another episode of Batman Beyond, as we will be staying with that all February long. And it will be the next episode in production order that episode being called The Last Resort. Mm, okay. Which is a, uh, an interesting episode involving uh, some of Terry's friends getting thrown in like a weird reform school, uh, oh. like boarding school type place that uh, has some questionable uh, educational methods. We'll, we'll just leave it there and uh, <laughs> definitely check our Twitter and Instagrams. You can find a little clip from that episode and probably a preview of uh, our review of it as well well some other fun stuff so be sure to check us out at dcau review both on twitter and instagram awesome well until next week i am cal and i'm liam and we will talk to you on the next episode of the dcau review
2: bye bye